Hello everyone and welcome to Synesthesia, a podcast about the creatives who shape the aesthetics of music. We chat to the artists behind the record sleeves, videos, photo shoots and stylings of the freshest new sounds, exploring how contemporary culture, fashion, illustration and design reflect and enhance the musical experience. Music has always been our passion and remains an integral part of our lives. That's why we decided to put together this podcast, which we called Synesthesia, because we perceive music not only with our ears, but also with our eyes. Synesthesia, the artist behind the artist. Hi everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Synesthesia. I am Enrico, this is episode number 18, and today I'm super excited to introduce a guest who needs little to no introduction at all. In fact, most of you may already be familiar with the outstanding work he's been creating throughout the past decade for huge acts such as Aphex Twin, his number one partner in crime, Arca, MIA, Radiohead, Charlie XCX, Tame Impala, One O Tricks Point Never, and other game changers in the world of contemporary music. His name is Nick, but if you are fond of cutting edge, avant-garde, beyond experimental, conceptual as well as nonsensical, futuristic, and ultimately trippy music visuals, you should know him as Weirdcore.tv. Weirdcore is here to chat about his career highlights, the digital analog places where he looks for inspiration, the cultures that have left a mark on his artistic output and his technical and theoretical approach to design. Furthermore, and sorry in advance for that, we will talk about this day's buzzword, aka NFTs, non-fungible tokens, because he and Aphex Twin just dropped one via With Foundation and the artwork was sold for 130k. Anyway, let's see if Nick is with us today. Hi Nick, how are you? Hi, how are you doing? You alright? That was quite an intro. Could you see yourself in this intro yeah 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 sure yeah yeah it's quite interesting to hear it from a, you know the person that's all really but yeah yeah i like it how are you feeling where are you dialing in from london power northwest isn't it northwest yeah just beyond wembley you left hackney after yeah. 20 years about 20 years yeah yeah but yeah i could have got to that point in my life really i find like uh, i think hackney's pretty good when you're in your 20s and 30s but once you get into your 40s it's not that suitable i find anymore especially when you've got kids really so you know, I find this part of London is a lot more suited to my kind of demographic, let's say. When I emailed you, you replied saying that you were currently on a deadline, uh-huh. shaping another artist aesthetic. Yes. Do you want to tell us more about this project that you were working on? Basically for Yaiji. Do you know Yaiji? Yes, of course. Yeah. I love um, Yeah, no, I really like her too. Uh, it's basically, and it's, for, it's commissioned by uh, Bandai Namco you know, from Japan, and it's for the Pac-Man anniversary. And we're doing some really Pac-Man themed, well, I'm doing the video and uh, Yaji's doing the, uh, the the music. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm really looking forward to having it done. After. We are looking forward to seeing it live. I would imagine maybe sometime next week. Oh, great. Not so long to wait. Yes, yes. We just talked about your uh, most recent uh, brief. We need to mm-hmm. press the rewind button and go back in time to 20 years ago, because uh, the first question is about your career path and how you have uh, ended up working as a creative in the music industry. Yes, I kind of studied here and there, like I studied in Bournemouth and I studied in Scarborough as well, uh, art and design. And 
I didn't really finish my kind of studies and I started working straight away in design in Bournemouth back in 98, doing kind of like pretty basic design really and kind of web design. And then I moved to London in 99 to work in web design. And then when the bubble burst of web design, I started working in DVD, doing in Soho, doing DVD menus and more web design. As soon as I moved to London as well, on the side, I was kind of doing visuals in club, like VJ, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, and then that side of grew and grew up until it just became my full-time thing. And then on the back of doing visuals for some people, I also did some music videos. And um, that just led me to where I am now. We are missing one step here though, because I yeah. assume you just didn't end up randomly doing visuals for a club. Were you into clubbing already? Oh God, the, yes. <laughs> yeah, if we weren't, we weren't a bit back uh, before my career, let's say. I grew up in the north of France. I was very much into the, the whole kind of new beats and stuff that was coming from Belgium at the time in the kind of really early 90s. So I was very much into that. And then once I moved to Britain, I was very much into the whole rave scene in the kind of like 93 kind of thing. Uh, and then got really into like all the techno stuff. And then I moved to Leeds and they had this amazing, amazing club called The Orbit and all the kind of biggest names in techno used to play there at the time. Yeah, just totally lost myself. Like I, I kind of went there to just go clubbing. I lived in Bournemouth at the time, you know, it's nice and all that, but there's not much stuff to go out to. So we'd go to like London for clubbing and London clubbing is okay. But when you go up north, it's more about quality than quantity. And I just had to move and it was just amazing. And I was very inspired by a lot of the stuff that was going on there. It became a way of life really, to be honest. I was yeah. very into all the fly and all that stuff but there was not that much visuals back then really to be honest like, you just introduced the next topic because you mentioned the flyers and visuals can you recall the first music related gig you worked on i instantly thought my first music related thing would be uh for my girlfriend uh, when I moved to London in 99 because she, she was a musician and I was and putting on nights and stuff uh, so I was doing stuff for her so I, I did quite a lot of visuals and artwork and all that but I think there was actually something that I did before before I moved to London in Bournemouth for just this like drum and bass DJ called like DJ Polygon so I think that was the very first thing but that was just like artwork for one of his mixtapes but no so when I moved to London it became a bit more kind of serious doing a lot of stuff for, for my girlfriend who was called Ryoko and she was doing quite a lot of uh, quite avant-garde electronic music yeah that's just how it all started really once i split I, up with her then i just started my own thing basically diana where you hosted at night at the hayward gallery at the hayward gallery it was actually something someone else was having i did some some night called new bleep and now i had that at 291 gallery in hackney and i had it at the i think it's called the deluxe which is on oxton square and jaguar shoe yeah yeah i did it there when i first first opened but no at the Hayward Gallery, that wasn't actually me. That was Joanna Segura, who was Avix Twin's girlfriend at the time. Uh, she put on Miracalix and she paired me up with her and I did all the visuals for that. And that led on to, that's an example of the visuals turning into music videos. So I kind of did that. A video for her called for Nunu. That was on the back of visuals that I did for her for the Hayward Gallery. And then it was late, there was later a show at the um, Queen Elizabeth Hall as well. I was um, thinking that the brutalist style of uh, Hayward Gallery really suits your aesthetics, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm very much into brutalism actually. Like I really love that, that style a lot actually. So I assume you would love to project on the facade of the National Theatre, wouldn't you? Yeah, that would be good actually. Yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot of other places I'd quite like 
like to project on really but yeah that, that's definitely one of them to be honest we talked about your um, education at uni and your first work experiences mm-hmm. and you mentioned a passion for um, clubbing and mm-hmm. electronic music and raving how about the visuals what did you read uh, as a teenager what kind of uh, books uh, movies uh, tv shows uh, were you into when it comes to books my, my dad was like an illustrator for a bit i mean he, he isn't now because he's not just an english teacher or something but like when he was young he was an illustrator so he had quite a lot of art books i did get very much inspired by a lot of the stuff that he had like he had a, a mobius book which is still a very much massive inspiration for me but also mainly like Escher. i would still class him as my favorite artist ever kind of thing really to be honest so that kind of really kind of shaped me in that way but i was i used to watch a lot of tv in the north of france like in the 80s there was really not much else to do quite frankly back in the early 80s there was quite a lot of japanese animation i would say like maybe half of the anim- the cartoons were actually japanese so i was uh, feasting on that a lot as a kid so that was quite a big uh, inspiration i'd say then my college years uh, i was kind of very much into electronic music even before the racing kicked off i was very much into synth stuff so quite into craft work and jean-michel jarre i used to be very into because i mean in france he was like really popular kind of thing and i used to be really into depeche mode they were like really massive back then but i used to really love anything kind of Sintry. And I used to really like all the stuff like Front 242 and all that, really quite industrial. Once I moved to England, things developed quite rapidly. I got really, really, really into Future Sound of London. Like their aesthetics were, was pretty good. And one of the things that really inspired me a lot, something that I saw at the orbit in the mid 90s was the um, Daft Punk, basically. Like they were a massive influence. And it was quite ironic because I remember seeing them on the flyer thinking, because it said like Daft Punk, they were like completely, completely unknown back then uh, it was just about around when the funk came out as like not as a proper single but just like on soma so they were completely unheard of and on the flight it said like uh, daft punk and in brackets from paris and i was like oh my god is this gonna be so wet because having grown up in france there was just so little good music coming from france back then that i was just like oh my god this is gonna be rubbish but there, there was robert armani playing as well so i thought okay let's go and check that out but i was completely floored by how good they were and it was just amazing it was so bold and so unapologetic kind of thing I, I, I really loved it so I kind of got really obsessed by them I saw them at the Q Club during their tour it was just amazing like they, it was the first time they had visuals and it just completely just like knocked me sideways you're making me sad Nick because they just split up and we won't pay <laughs> I know I'm moving on to that I'm going to move on to that also because maybe your dream would have been to collaborate with them at some point yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know because basically yeah that, that show was amazing I was just like yeah that's just what i want to do in life and yes they have recently split up which was quite um quite depressing because that was one thing that i was really keen on doing honestly my prediction is that they will have a reunion tour in uh, yeah. let's say 10 year time and you will be doing the visuals for that right. <laughs> yeah, cool okay fingers crossed. let's hope let's hope fingers crossed how about your name why did you pick weird core there is a weird core aesthetic movement did you borrow it from this movement or were you its pioneer Oh no, I didn't, I didn't know about that. Um, no, basically I had a few kind of names when I started doing visuals and it was like, I was part of this uh, group of kind of visual people. Uh, most of them were from Japan because most of the VJ visual stuff was, was more coming from Japan back in the late 90s and early 2000s. And it was stuff like really cheesy stuff like RGB Invaded or like iTrip or just AVTV and all that stuff.
stuff. Visuals were so not that important, especially back then, that people would always get the names wrong. Weird call was just something that I used to say, like as an expression or like uh, as an adjective to stuff that was very weird, really. You know, I'd casually say, oh, that's really weird course. And I realized people would remember that. So I was like, oh, I'll just call myself weird call because that's just like, just it's a name that sticks and it somewhat represents what I do, I guess, really, to be honest. But I, I wasn't aware of the movement. So yeah, if you could send me some links to that kind of stuff, I'd be curious to see what it looks like. Actually. I will for sure. Maybe Apex Twin was uh, attracted by this uh, nickname of yours, uh, or did you meet him at a night out? Well, maybe he was by the name, but I had met him quite a few times over the years. So I did, I initially met him when I first moved to London at some kind of club in Brixton called the Dog Star. I don't know if it's still about now. But then over the years, I met him many, many times, many brief encounters not not like uh, I didn't really particularly know him well or anything I kind of like I said I worked for his girlfriend Joanna who used to put on a lot of events and I used to know his other previous girlfriend Anne Nanu and we had quite a few mutual friends so like when I first met him was in 99 and I started working with him in 2009 so there was a 10 year gap between the first time I met him and when I worked for him and I find in London when you when you go out to like electronic experimental events you know there's quite a lot going on but you do end up bumping into the same people a lot so yeah i had met him loads of the Can years you recall uh, the first brief from him the first brief from him uh, I, I don't think there's so much he's not really like that <laughs> Like, he, he, no, actually, what he would do, he would just send me like a shed load of photos that he's got just to do, to kind of explain the vibe of what he was after. And he would kind of reference things that he tried to have as visuals before. And having seen him live in 96, I kind of had a, a good idea of the kind of vibe that he was going for. So I knew that he would have stuff like um, bodybuilding women just on stage or just random stuff like that or like very weird chorus slash hard stuff <laughs> very weird chorus stuff yeah and uh, like other shows I know that he had like some kind of basketball players in wheelchairs just like playing basketball or like he'd have like these gurners like in uh, I can't remember where it is in England but there's a place in England where you have like these gurning competitions his uh, shows were a sort of um, very cutting edge circus with with no animals yeah. involved. Yeah, 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 that's it. But when it came to the visuals, he did tell me that he wanted to have certain things played and a lot of the you know, promoters would like refuse to do it. Like there was this one thing, I think it was called, it's a documentary by a Japanese guy who's filming some embalmer person in the roughest part of Colombia. And I, th I think it's called Rozo or something like that. He, he was meant to play in Germany. He told them what DVDs to get and they got it and they're like, no, it's totally not appropriate. So uh, he told me what that film was and I ended up playing it quite a lot when I started working for him. So uh, he likes, um, yeah, like you said, stuff that is actually quite weird core. Provocative, I guess, kind of thing, really, or a break from the norm, I guess. Yes, like uh, yeah. his productions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, we just uh, talked about your first um, project with Apex Twin. Mm -hmm. Now we have to move to the latest one, which is the NFT, so mm -hmm. non-fungible token, mm -hmm. which sold for a hundred. 30k through with foundation what makes it unique from the other visuals you created with him besides a blockchain code and an authenticity certificate it's more
more of a level par kind of collaboration compared to the other stuff. The thing I find with NFTs at the moment is that, and, and I didn't realize that when I first started doing it, is that I think the... They are bad for the, the environment. The, <laughs> yeah, that was one thing that was really different when I did the one for Richard, is that uh, just as we started making it, uh, we got quite concerned of how the impact of the environment, and you'd read different things, and some of it was just like full-on doomsday, kind of, oh my God, it's like the worst thing ever. And other things would be like, well, yeah, it's bad, but like it doesn't, because of current, the way they kind of, the stuff is mined for the currency, the NFTs don't actually add that much on top. So I don't know, um, it's a bit, it's a bit confusing, but I was quite surprised by a lot of the kind of backlash that we got from it kind of thing, because we, we kind of said that, well, Richard said that we would like, you know, try and offset it and plant trees and all that stuff. Yeah. So we're trying to be nice about it. But I think that opened the gate to people uh, abusing us. Anyway, what's the concept behind this artwork? How did you guys approach it? What's the story in it? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's more coming. The thing we're planning to do with that one, we wanted to do something that looked quite blockchain-y. Like, I don't know, I'm trying to do something fairly relevant to the whole thing yeah Richard said oh let's do something that looks like blockchain and if you google blockchain you get quite like you know that kind of quite 90s CG looking matrixy kind of visuals looking so I thought okay I'll, I'll do my kind of take on that so that's why it has a kind of quite low you know, not, there's not many colors and it's kind of quite lasery and kind of matrixy and I just used a scan that I've got of his face and it's just like scanning the blockchain basically but we're going to do a few more maybe not with his face maybe more with his, with his logo somehow yeah more oh. more with that same kind of aesthetics really where do you look for inspiration for inspiration so I have a lot of books uh, I'm quite a, an addict when it comes to art books like I've got like a massive library of books and I find what I always try and do is to get inspired by stuff from a pre-digital era and apply it in a kind of new digital way if that makes sense. I'd get the inspiration in my head as to a certain aesthetic and then recreate it from scratch in a digital way. I don't think, I don't scan the images as such. I kind of tend to use them. Or maybe I'd, I'd take a photo of it as for, you know, for a mood board or something like that. But I find these days there's so many stuff online. I mean, if you do research of a certain artist, but I do find from having the books, there's quite a lot of stuff that doesn't make it online. And maybe it's that, that one, one picture in a book that will both be like the main inspiration for a whole project i find really but um yeah art books it's my my addiction for the last uh, 20 years i guess really like um a book you've been uh, loving recently that you've been using a lot? I would say my favourite book is Malicious Resplendent by Robert Williams. Yeah. When you are working on your live uh, visual shows, though, you can't yeah. bring books with you. I think one thing that I'm really good at is I've got a really good uh, memory for these kind of things. And in fact, like sometimes I've got maybe too much too good of a memory because I tend to improve what I remember. So like sometimes I'll, uh, you know, I'll be having a, a meeting about 
project or something and I'll kind of reference these things that I remember from books or from videos in the 80s but when I kind of check the the thing that I was referencing it's not quite as good as what I remembered kind of thing so you know people will check it out and it's like quite disappointing your uh, visual uh, shows are live yes yes that mean that you improvise at least the 50% of the show? Well, for, for Aphex, like we never know what it's going to play. So I guess it's 100% improvised. But the way that I do it and the way that I've kind of managed to kind of shape it uh, over the last, well, since 2009, what I use is Max MSP. I don't know if you're familiar with that software. No, unfortunately but, not, but I am learning uh, from you. You can make these kind of patches and you can feed it into uh, Ableton Live and stuff like that. But there's a whole kind of visual side to it. The thing that I find that it's so good and kind of better than any other software that I've used for my personal use is the fact that you can do local presets or things. So what I will do is I will have a pre loads of presets and morphing presets for individual elements. So if I'm doing something in 3D, I'll have morphing presets for just the camera position and then I'll have morphing presets for the animation and I'll have moving presets for uh, for the lighting kind of thing. And then I have all these like multitudes of morphing presets and I just morph between established presets kind of thing. So it's I just never have the same kind of combination of things and also it's kind of sound reactive. So you just never really get this exact same thing twice. Although I do the same vibe of stuff at most shows, but it's never exactly the same, if that makes sense. And then another thing that I started doing in the last couple of years is that the lighting guy for the Apex tour, he's, he's amazing, this guy called um, Dave Ross, like amazing lighting guy. And he would have control over elements as well. So uh, as we use multiple screens, in my patch, I have a thing which basically allows him to turn certain screens on and off. So I don't really have to focus on that side of things. So I find lighting people are really good at responding really quickly to the music because that's like they, what they do basically. So I let him treat the screens as an extension to his light. So I just focus on what the visual is going into it. And then as to how they come on and off, he can deal with that. But also there's certain parts of the visuals where let's say it's a more 3D part, like where I've got the Apex Teddy or the, the cheerleader kind of girl. The lighting in that is also controlled by the actual lighting uh, engineer from the show. So I'm kind of morphing between all these different kind of presets and it's sound reactive and the lighting guy is kind of controlling it. So it's kind of a big mixture of stuff that makes it completely unique every time. I was also very much into doing uh, live data moshing like the stuff that works particularly well uh, with data washing is stuff with bodies or very organic stuff and i found out that like a lot of really disgusting movies like scat movies i found that works really well with data washing and i would play that and it was pretty mad that i could get away with with doing that because most of the time you can't really tell what it is but but there will be like a one kind of frame where you kind of see something and then it gets distorted again and it's in that one frame that people are like oh Right, that's what it is, okay. But um, I can't think of any other artist where I could actually get away with doing that. It was quite nice to be able to play that kind of really offensive stuff to like thousands of people 
you know, on big stages kind of thing. And, you know, people at the end of the show would comment to me going, oh, that was amazing. <laughs> like I remember in Japan, someone was like, oh, that was amazing. But is that even legal to show that? And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really thought about it in that way. Well, if uh, um, they said that it was amazing, maybe it was just amazing. You should believe the feedback of the public. And that's... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But like, it was more the comment of like, is it even legal to <laughs> show that kind of thing? You know? <laughs> It was a uh, borderline scandalous. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have yeah. one uh, kind of a hard slash complex question for you. Oh, yeah. Will these uh, electronic music shows be the same without visuals? How do they enhance the music experience? Mm, that's a really interesting question, especially for me, actually. With lights and visuals and lasers, it just takes it to a different kind of place really like thinking about your visuals they have this kind of a hypnotic power it's it's hard for me to comment on my own kind of visuals because i've never experienced it um you know as a punter let's say but i think maybe the reason it works quite well is because it is so live and also not everyone has to read both the crowd and the artist while doing it as you do do you look at the crowd do you feel like you respond to the crowd as well not only to the crowd yes 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 i do yeah no i forgot about that, that aspect yeah that's true actually yeah no so it's a, like a bit like a feedback loop yeah i don't know how I, I completely forgot about that that aspect yeah no i find um there's some kind of shows where it works really well because the crowd is going crazy but like there's some kind of thump shows where even though i've got the like the most amazing setup if the crowd is like a bit lame kind of thing it's just quite frustrating because i think one of the best shows i mean i was trying to think about it before this interview one of the best shows i did was maybe like the stuff like um the print work show uh, which is one of the last ones we did in london I mean, the whole setup, the whole, the way we had the screens was friggin' amazing. We had these most amazing screens uh, that were kind of very see-through as well. So as soon as I had no visuals, it, they become, it was almost like having holograms. It was amazing, amazing. And, um, you know, because uh, you could also shine the lights through them. And we had loads of screens hanging from the ceiling. You know, when it comes to a setup, it was like the most amazing setup. And the lasers were freaking banging as well. But the crowd was not that good. And I, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I remember being quite frustrated with the crowd thinking, oh my God, like, <laughs> just... but I find London shows can be like that. We did a show in Manchester the week after. It was kind of way more fun because the crowd was just so, I mean, well, up north, they just totally go for it. From thinking back, some of the best shows we've ever had, some of them were in London, but some of them were really lame as well. Like I find the one we did in Victoria Park in 2010, the first one, the first time I ever did the kind of face mapping visuals, that was an amazing thing. Like the crowd was so banging, it was amazing. And then we had a field day was really good as well. The crowd was amazing. Yes, the performance at field day in 2017 in that uh, hangar, former mm. hangar was great, wasn't it? Yeah, that was that was really good actually. Yeah, I really, I mean, from the from the visual setup, I, I, I do think the print works one from a visual step was kind of better for me, but the overall show and especially the lasers were freaking amazing at that show. It was so good, so good. So far, we just talked about electronic and let's say pop uh, arts. I would like to know whether you will be interested in experimenting with the classical music and maybe 
creating a bespoke visual show for uh, the London Philharmonic Orchestra at the Royal Albert Hall, let's say. I'm kind of in an interesting position at the moment. If, I mean, if you ask me if I'm interested in stuff for more electronic stuff or just for orchestral stuff, and I think, because I'm now in a position where I've started making, say, NFTs, and I'm in a position to work with some artists to provide the music, where up until recently, I would only really work on with musicians to make visuals for them kind of thing, where the table is turned, where I can get some of my you know people I like to help me with making the sounds for what I'm doing but also I've started making um I've started doing exhibitions as well like I don't know if you noticed but I did a massive exhibition in Beijing like last year yeah and for I got, piano wasn't it for Laura piano but we also did a I did a really massive one in Beijing where and I had the people from Subcult doing music and I'm going to be doing more of those kind of things and hopefully one in London next year which museum? Design museum. Can you tell us more? <laughs> well, it's not. It's not agreed yet. But I'm. Go- I'm having a meeting at the Strand. You know that one. One eighty. The Strand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember the exhibition in 2016. Oh, what was that? Infinity name? Mix was it? Yeah, the Infinity Mix. Oh the- my God, that was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that was one I know, of- I know, I know, I know. That is possibly my favourite thing that I've ever been to in my entire yeah. existence. That was so good. I really, really enjoyed that. And when I had a meeting with them last week, I told them that that, that just like knocked me like sideways. But the, the exhibition that's coming out soon, that was meant to open last year, the one for Roger Kida, I went to I went to see it when I had a meeting with them and that is frigging amazing. So anyone that can go and see that I highly recommend it it's it's really really amazing it's i would say it's as good as the infinity mix but all from one person uh but no yeah i'd be really really pleased to do something there and uh yeah hopefully they like what i'm going to suggest basically like uh, fingers crossed for you nick <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so for that for that kind of stuff i'm in a position to get people that i really like to to make the music i'm not going to go into who that is because i've not even asked those people yet kind of thing but like uh that i do tend to go for the more electronic stuff that i really like and what i personally listen to but if you to ask me who I'd like to work for, I, I, I can't say I'm particularly interested in working for other electronic stuff, A, because I've done loads of it. And also I do stuff with Aphex and it's just like, you know, it's as good as it gets really. Uh, so I'd rather do stuff for completely different music. Personally, I'd really much prefer to do stuff for more poppy stuff. And I mean, like maybe not like any pop, but like good pop, you know, I do like, I do like quite a lot of good pop. Nick, mm. I feel like you are reading the script of the show because since we talked about your work with Apex Twin and generally speaking, your technique, your approach to live visuals, your research, now it's mm. time to introduce the columns of this show. And yeah. the first column, Word on the Street, is about you telling us if there is a musician you would like to collaborate with at the Word on the street. One person that I was really keen to do work with was Sophie, but like Daft Punk, that's clearly not going to happen now, no, unfortunately, because that was really sad what happened. Rest in peace, Sophie. No, rest in peace, like big time. But like, I mean, there's a lot of electronic artists I really like, but I find I'm kind of happy to just 
experience them as a spectator, like say the likes of say Amnesia Scanner, who I really love. But I think, you know, when it comes to visuals, I, I don't think I would kind of add anything to it. Like, cause I mean, I, I, I quite like what they do already or people like Lee Gamble, which I really like as well. But I think uh, the guy doing the visuals for that, doing a fine job. So, you know, but when it, I, I, I'm kind of more interested in doing some more stuff for, for pop. I'd be really keen to do more stuff with Charlie XCX. Cause I've, I've done stuff, stuff with her, but I'd like to do more. But one person I'd be really keen to work with, and you might not expect that, is actually someone like a Duralipo. I mean, which is someone that I was meant to work with a couple of times, but it didn't quite happen. But she's really pop, but it's kind of good pop. And I think it should be really good subject matter to work with. Can you save a ticket for me if you end up working with Alita? <laughs> because you have a big fan here. Oh, really? Yeah, she's really good, right? She's like, it's so... I mean, my daughter, my daughter really loves it as well, and my wife as well. But like, uh, yeah, no, it's really catchy. It's kind of like how... I mean, I used to really like synth pop back in the 80s, but like I find her stuff is very, it's just catchy and it's just good kind of thing. So yeah, no, I'd really like to work with her. But I mean, even people like Grimes, I would, I'd like to. I mean, I, it's not like I'm a massive fan of all the stuff she does, but you know, it's like, I think, I think that kind of pop, that kind of avant-garde pop or avant-pop or whatever, whatever you call point, it. Uh, at that point, you might as well work with Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, if I don't know. Well, if I get a Tesla out of it, I'd be kind of happy, really. Quite. That's a good side of being a visual artist, is that you can connect the dots in a way that musicians can't really do that. So, like, I like the fact that, you know, I can work with the likes of Aphex, but also, like, you know, Miley Cyrus, or I've even done stuff for, like, Dixie Chicks and all that stuff. And it's, and it's fine, because no one particularly cares. But, you know, if, like, Aphex did a thing with Dixie Chicks, that would just be that the people on Twitter would just like explode kind of thing. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about visual artists. Yes. Uh, one artist you like these days and you would recommend our audience to check them out. Refi Kanadol, do you know that guy? No, but don't worry about the spelling because uh, we will share the name of this artist on our Instagram page. Oh, okay. Visha underscore podcast. Okay. Check it out, follow us, because uh, we will share some of your artworks uh, as well as uh, your um, okay. inspirations okay. and things you like. So. Okay, okay. Yeah, so that guy, Refik, kind of, I think he's a Turkish guy. Uh, he does loads of installations, but... Why do you like him? I don't know, it's just like, he's really pushing the bar. Like, he was one of the first ones to really do a lot of this GAN stuff. Do you know what I mean by GAN? G-J-A-N? No, please uh, explain. GAN, it's, a, it's a, like a machine learning thing where you feed loads of images and, it, and the machine learns and it kind of regurgitates what it's learned, basically. And he was one of the first ones to do it on a kind of big scale. And some of the installations he does are just amazing. And also, I really like Philippe Can Pantone. Do you know that guy? Oh one my God, this guy, about, <laughs> this guy's amazing. One of the best things about uh, hosting Synesthesia is that uh, I learn a lot from you guys. He does a lot of artwork and it's very kind of bold and or party, but really, really, really nice mix of black and white and super colorful spectrum. He uses so many colors, but it doesn't look like, like a rainbow vomit kind of thing. It's very quite good. And he does all these murals and it's super bold and in your face, but it's never too much kind of thing it's it's really good anyway we have the last two or three minutes we need to yeah. react okay. okay. the second column is a private collection private collection 
pick mm -hmm. one music video that has left a mark on you. It's hard to narrow it down to one. If I could say two, that would might help actually. But um, I would I would say the one that really marked me as a kid was Man Child, Nina Cherry. I mean, back in the eighties, there was like some of the most amazing videos, like all the ones by Michael Jackson, or just like Aha, Take on Me, and all that kind of stuff. But that one was it's the first video that I saw that I feel like that looks cool. It wasn't just like, wow, it's amazing kind of, you know, Hollywood kind of music video kind of thing. But it was just like, and it was like, you know, it turned out it was made by a fashion designer or something like that. So it's like, it was, the execution was amazing and it was beautifully shot and it's really abstract in a kind of very fashion kind of way. And I liked how it's kind of one thing and it just like, it sustains that kind of level of artistic kind of direction throughout the whole video. It's kind of very avant-pop. You mentioned the word cool and for the last column of the show... Flavors. We keep talking about very cool things, but this uh -huh. time it's not a music video, but an Instagram page. What's your favorite Instagram page right now? I kind of like the more happy chappy stuff, you know, like you'll find some stuff which is like so uplifting because especially in this day and age with all the bloody lockdown and stuff, you, you need some stuff to cheer you up. Tell us about an uplifting, cheering page that you like. <laughs> okay, yeah, I really like Jay Prehistoric Pets. It's some guy that works in this kind of reptile zoo in America and he's just like living the dream as he says himself. And it's like, you've seen these videos and you're like, how can this guy just be so freaking happy chappy? <laughs> every video you, you see of him you're like even if you're feeling a bit down you just watch and you're like oh yeah yeah oh, yeah yeah he has a 2.4 million yes 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 yeah ah. but check it out you'll see what i mean it's like how can he be so happy chappy but he makes you happy chappy by watching it kind of thing it's, it's great it's great he's living the dream let's uh, leave uh, the reptiles aside and uh, <laughs> talk about a local spot slash venue you would recommend someone who's visiting london i would say kew gardens yes please i love kew gardens My yes me too i love it i go there quite a lot visiting kew gardens it's like taking part in one of your visual shows but in real life <laughs> with so many yeah. colors uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a trippy experience, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially in the cactus one, the princess, uh, princess of Wales one, actually. That's yeah. your favorite part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's very yeah. hot in there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We are at the end of the episode, Nick. Okay, it was cool. My pleasure to have you here at our microphones. Cool. No worries. Anytime. Let's hope to meet in person at some point. I will for sure come and shake your hands at the 180 Strand exhibition. Yeah, yeah, if that happens. Like, uh, yeah, like uh, nothing confirmed yet. But yeah, that would be cool, actually. Thank you once again, Nick. Yeah, that was really good. Um, yeah, thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, looking forward to, to hearing it, really. You just listened to Synesthesia, the artist behind the artist. Subscribe to our channel and follow us on Instagram at synesthesia underscore podcast.